Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It was only a couple years, you know, 2015, that same-sex couples could get married, right? Up until then, there were over a thousand benefits that same-sex couples couldn't benefit from, such as social security, survivor, and spousal benefits. Only recently, President Biden provided housing and services protections for LGBTQ people. But the next president could come into office and make those executive orders go away. And then all of a sudden, there's another precarity that the LGBTQ community has to deal with. So if you could be kicked out of your house at any given time because somebody realizes that you're LGBTQ and they don't want you in their house, you have no recourse. That means you should probably save more money for an emergency savings account. But there's also a sexual orientation and gender identity pay gap, right? We don't earn as much as the general population, specifically straight, white, cis men. So there are a couple of variables that our community has to deal with. And we just need to figure out how to, one, navigate those nuances, but then also two, the main reason why David and I do what we do is that we want more LGBTQ people to be financially secure and even thrive because the more money that we have, the more time, money, and other resources we have to continue to fight for equality. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. 
Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. John and David, welcome to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. We're excited to be here. Yes. All right. So let's start off with an introduction. I'll let you guys decide who wants to introduce both of y'all. So tell us a little bit about yourselves and kind of what inspired you to join the personal finance conversation. Yeah. So I am John. I'm this is David. my husband and partner in crime, David. <laughs> We've been together for 18 years, but about a year and a half after we got together, we started to expose our real selves to each other. And we finally confessed that we had $51,000 in credit card debt between the two of us, despite the fact that we were both in financial services, helping other people with their money and preparing for retirement and manage their debt. <laughs> We were the cobbler's kids with no shoes, and we were doing miserably ourselves. That was our WTF moment. We're like, what's going wrong? We have all this theoretical knowledge. Why aren't we applying it to our lives? Our lives weren't going the direction we wanted them to go, and we decided we were going to hunker down and figure out a way to pay off this debt, and we came up with a strategy to pay that debt off in under three years. But towards the end of that time, we thought, well, geez, now we've got this practical experience. We've got theoretical knowledge from being in the industry for so long that we thought, well, we could help people with what we've learned. And so we thought we would write a book and that Oprah would invite us onto her TV show. And then it'd be Gene Chatsky, David Box story all over again. You get a book, you get a book, you get a book. <laughs> but, um, Turns out that's not how it works. And uh, we shopped our book around to several agents. Uh, finally, somebody was generous enough to say, no agent's going to take on your book. No publishing house is going to take you on because you don't have a platform. And that's kind of how we got into circuitous path of getting into blogging and then eventually got into podcasting. That's fantastic. How long have you all been doing this? We started dabbling in blogging about 2012. It was more of a hobby at that point in time, but I we finally dove into it officially 2014. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I will tell you, you are not the first people to tell me that you worked in finance and had no idea what the F you were doing with your money. So right. I think that's like very reassuring for folks because it's like, if y'all don't know what you're doing, then none of us are going to know what we're doing. Why do you think that is? Do you think that just like the way that the financial industry is set up is more to benefit like companies or like organizations versus the individual or what's your take there? I used to do compliance and financial services. So one of the things that I would do was review an advisor before we brought them in house and look at all sorts of background checks and whatnot. And we would look at their financial state. And I can't tell you how many financial advisors who were managing millions and millions of dollars of assets had bankruptcies and liens and all sorts of financial problems. I think there is a big difference having the theoretical knowledge and being able to help other people and coaching them. 
it's a whole other story to apply that to your own life, I think, because at the end of the day, we're all still human. We also have emotions and insecurities and doubts and fears. And the best way in America to show that you don't doubt yourself, you have no fears, is to have all the awesome stuff. So I think a lot of us, despite what we might know, still have that challenge. Yeah. I think that the consumerism culture is so ingrained into us. Even before we're born, we we have all of these things that are set aside for us, right? Most families now have a nursery with toys. The kid is born and there's there's all of these gifts that are given, the first birthday. And it's just, we are just constantly loaded more and more and more things. And as John mentioned, I think that's it is a touchstone in society today as to how well you are doing if you have all the stuff. The sad part about it is the person right next door to you can have all of the stuff and be really broke, or they can be able to cover all of that stuff. There's no true way to tell. I remember a long time ago, there was an, a commercial, I think it was back when it was ING Bank, and it, they had a commercial and people were walking around and their retirement number was floating around by their head, right? Nobody really knows how much money or your, what your net worth is, but I think a lot of people would be shocked. And John and I jokingly at one point said, We'd love to have a bumper sticker on our car that says, my retirement account is worth more than my car. Because yeah. I think that there's a lot of people where it's the other way around. It's just kind of ridiculous, the society we live in today. Yeah, absolutely. Capitalism is alive and well. And I think there's a lot of people who now, after the crazy two years that we've had, are almost like rage spending. They're just like buying all the things. <laughs> like there's a very much like a YOLO mentality in the air right now where people are just like anything that I said I was going to wait for it's like no because life is not guaranteed and I I understand that sentiment completely and I will say that I've probably been indulging in a little bit of rage spending myself <laughs> but I have also gotten to the place to understand like where my limits are and I think that's the problem that a lot of us have and that's why we end up in debt so I think this is a perfect segue to talk about your personal journeys into paying off credit card debt I think credit card debt is one of the hardest things to pay off because it's so damn expensive right. and it's like so easy to rack up. But then when you actually get that final number and you're just like, oh my God, like if I pay these minimum payments, I'm going to be paying this for the rest of my life. Right. So what strategies did you use to pay off this debt in such a short amount of time? Our first discussion came about because we had this fantasy. We were on vacation in the mountains in Colorado. We had this fantasy conversation about buying land and building a modern vacation home, you know, the place where you can invite all your friends and family. And it's the, you know, it's, it truly becomes the show off place, right? That's the place everybody wants to be invited to. Then that's kind of what our fantasy was. And fortunately, we were in a, in a car going 65, 75 miles an hour down the highway. And we started talking about could we afford it? And this is the, the WTF conversation for us, because by the time we got home and pulled up in front of our place, opened up the door, and we walked down a flight of stairs into a basement apartment. So here we are, financially and literally living in a hole in the ground. I mean, we are below ground, and we were our, our finances were just jacked up. And we looked at each other and had some conversations, and then we said, how did we get into this? How do we get to this place? And the first thing I did is I went and I did a spending analysis of every penny we spent over the last previous year. And it just blew our minds as to where our money was being spent. Because before that, we probably said to ourselves, we were living an okay life, right? We didn't feel like we were ballers and you know had all the things. 
But then we started looking at stuff and there were plenty of weeks where we were dropping $400 a week on groceries because we had to go to Whole Foods. And then we were dropping $400 a week on dining out. And we were like, how how do two relatively thin men, <laughs> we were in good shape time. back then, <laughs> how do we eat this much? And the reality is we started to see, look at it. It was like, we just are over consuming with the quality of the food and things like that. We wanted that. We had that YOLO, I think, life, and we always wanted to overdo things. So the first step was actually understanding where our money was being spent because immediately we knew this category, this category, this category, we don't need to spend that much money in those categories. Most egregious category being the wine category. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely adds up. (laughs) Yeah, that was our first step. And then the next step was we started looking at the credit cards and we said, this is going to take us forever to pay off. We were aware of the snowball method and the avalanche method. And we just looked at that and we said, this is too slow. This is dumb. Why? We did the math and we knew it would take us probably about four to six years to pay off with those strategies. And so we said, how do we lower our credit card interest? And fortunately, during that time period, back in the mid 2000s, there were plenty of offers for zero balance credit cards that we could transfer to. So we transferred and paid off and transferred and paid off. And that was the biggest, the biggest thing that really helped us. And we now have a methodology that we call the debt lasso method. And it was that methodology that helped us pay off faster. The first thing is, is committing. I think a lot of people don't commit to sending a specific amount, at least that amount every single month. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll pay this much. I'll pay that much. We made a commitment. We're sending this amount. It is a bill for us. Nothing will prevent us from spending that. And when we get extra money, we're going to send that money too. So it was the commitment that we made, then coming up with the budget that allowed us to reduce the categories, the reducing the interest rates on our credit cards and automating it. So we really didn't have to pay much attention to it. It was all happening behind the scenes. I absolutely love that you talk about balance transfers because I feel like that's a very, like, it's a hidden secret when it comes to paying off debt. Like, I feel like enough people don't talk about it. And that's exactly the strategy that I used when I decided I wanted to pay off my credit card debt. I got like a 0% zero balance transfer fee card, which I was like, wait a minute, they're like letting me do this for zero dollars. Like, how is this allowed? And it was, I think it was like a $20,000 credit limit. So I was able to put everything consolidated all in this one card and pay it off within the 18 month promotional period that they, they had. And I think like, it's a brilliant idea if you do it right. Right. Like if you have a plan to pay off this debt and not repeat the cycle, because then it's just like, what are you doing? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, we oftentimes say that credit cards are like swimming in the deep end. And unless you know how to use credit cards, like unless you know how to swim, you probably shouldn't go in the deep end. And I think the balance transfer strategy, while it's enticing, it can really mess you up if you don't, like you said, don't, aren't committed to making sure you're paying that, you're paying that off. You don't break the cycle. And that's where I think a lot of people have the challenge is they don't break the cycle. And that's why the credit card companies keep winning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they're, they're in business for a reason. <laughs> right. They're not doing those zero, those zero balance transfers for free. They're yeah, making for the money kindness off of their somebody. hearts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, they're hoping that you don't pay that off and then they can just charge you 25% interest on all of that money, right? Where all you need to do is miss one payment and all of a sudden that grace period ends and you're back to that 25% again. Yeah, it's terrible. 
Okay, so, you know, paying off that type of debt is a phenomenal accomplishment, whether it's in, you know, three years or 10 years. Now, how do you get to a place where you're not continuing to get into debt, right? Because I think it's easy to kind of bask in the immediate, you know, success, but then how do you prevent yourself from falling back into those patterns that got you into debt in the first place? Well, I will share about a year after we became debt-free, we did find ourselves in about $6,000 more credit card debt. So it wasn't a once and done for us, unfortunately. We had to learn it again. But I think it's a great question because you you, you want to break the cycle, right? For most of us, we acquire credit card debt because we didn't manage our money right. We didn't manage the bills correctly. And David and I had to do some introspection and figure out, well, how did we get here, right? We're two 30-something-year-old white men in America. Theoretically, everything is easier for us. What went wrong? And we had all that theoretical knowledge and it took us a while to really figure this out, but we had to sort of peel back the onion and, and we realized that there were two dual factors happening. One is we both came from times and places when it wasn't okay to be gay. So we finally got into adulthood and we felt like we had to have all the things because then we could go back you know, to, you know, the homecoming game or to our class reunion, but like, look how awesome I am. You know, you guys missed out. You should have treated me better, whatever. But then we did finally find our community of LGBTQ people. We felt that we had to do all the right things to fit in. We had to have the right cars, the right vacations, the right clothing, go to the right bars and clubs and parties. And so we kind of had these two factors that kind of were inspiring us to spend more money than we actually had. So we had to get really truthful about what is it we really want in life? Because clearly, as David said, our spending was egregious. The things we were spending our money on clearly wasn't satisfying us. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to keep spending our money that way. And that's when we had to peel back the onion even more and figure out what is it we really want in life. And to us, that is the critical factor to help break that cycle. Because most people don't even really want all the things that they have. They're not getting that much satisfaction, hedonic adaptation, right? They're buying things and it's exciting to get that brand new phone. But then a year from now, when the the iPhone 25 comes out, you're like, I need the 25. Why do you feel that way? Well, clearly that phone a year ago didn't provide you all the satisfaction that you thought it would. And so when you can figure out what you really want in life, I think that's where the, the critical step is. Yeah, I'll add, I'm seeing a lot of memes right now, or pictures on Instagram, of people posting how they paid off this massive amount of debt in three days, in six weeks. And I'm like, how did you pay off $220,000 of debt in that short time period? I think that the thing that has kept us out of debt is remembering that there are habits that you have to create. Those become your life. That becomes your lifestyle. If what got you here will get you there if you keep doing it. So people who want to get to having that $1 million in retirement, but have $60,000 in credit card debt, take the time to build up those habits while you're paying the debt off. Keep those habits going. So many people, and we were included, as soon as they're done with paying the credit cards off, they feel like, yay, I did it. Now I can go back to my old life. Well, if you go back to your old life, you're going to go back to having a bunch of credit card debt again. That is so true. And I think, you know, a lot of folks who listen to this podcast can relate because if you're a first generation, you know, person who is like the first in your family to go to college, the first in your family to have a corporate career, the first in your family to make six figures, there's this internalized pressure to show off that your family sacrifice was for some purpose. And a lot of the times that manifests itself in acquisition of material things. And then many of us can find ourselves completely unaligned with our spending and the life that we're living and just feeling like, why am I doing this? 
So I'm glad to know that it happens, you know, for all different folks, for for people all across different communities and different spectrums, because it's really, I think it's a hallmark of American culture in general to just really prioritize the acquisition of material things, even if you are not necessarily acting in your own best interest sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. The marketers, they know what they're doing. (laughs) Right. That's why they get paid the big bucks. It's it's a science. (laughs) So let's talk about the conversations around money in the LGBTQ community, right? One of the things that I love seeing with platforms like yours is that you make it known like there is a nuance to the conversation around money. Like it's not just one size fits all. And I think a lot of folks can tend to think that, you know, Dave Ramsey can solve all of our problems, regardless of where you come from, or like Susie Orman is just the pill for everyone. And it's just like, no, there is a lot of different unique circumstances that different communities will confront when it comes to money. What are some of the biggest things that you have seen as a challenge to your community? So we get the question a lot. Money is not different for LGBTQ people. It's the same for everybody. And we disagree. We think that 80% of money is the same for everybody, right? It's transactional, right? A credit card, debit card works the same for you as it does for me. A dollar for you is worth the same as a, as a dollar is for me. But there's 20% of money that's affected by your background, your race, your creed, your history, your culture, where you've come from, life you've lived until you got into adulthood. And it's that 20% that has an exponential effect on the overall 100%. And that's the personal part of personal finance. And so that's why we, we feel like things are are definitely different for different demographics of folks. And we realized when we were at FinCon 2015, that there were all these different bloggers, podcasters, whomever speaking to various communities, but there was nobody speaking to the LGBTQ community at that time where we thought, well, we're gay. (laughs) Maybe we should do it. And simultaneously, while we were paying off our debt, we realized that we weren't the only ones in our friends group that were having these challenges, right? So many of us we're struggling with our finances. And we tell the story that during our party days, we were hanging out with doctors and lawyers who dressed well and could afford all the things. But then we were hanging out with people who worked in restaurants and rating tables and bartending. They also dressed very well, went on all the vacations. And we were kind of in the middle of that income spectrum. We all had the same, by our appearances, we all had the same lifestyle. But clearly some of us could afford that lifestyle more so than others. And we found that Many of the people that we work with, they're also coming from times and places when they weren't comfortable, but they couldn't be their true selves. And that when they finally got to adulthood, they were doing the same exact things that we were doing. And then they were also likewise trying to fit in. But then on top of that, you have a whole industry, a whole economy, not necessarily designed for people like us. It was only a couple of years, you know, 2015, that same-sex couples could get married, right? Up until then, there were over a thousand laws, benefits that same-sex couples couldn't benefit from, such as social security, survivor, and spousal benefits. Only recently, President Biden provided housing and services protections for LGBTQ people. But the next president could come into office and make those executive orders go away. And then all of a sudden, there's another precarity that the LGBTQ community has to deal with. So if you could be kicked out of your house at any given time because somebody realizes that you're LGBTQ and they don't want you in their house, you have no recourse. So you have to, that means you should probably save more money for an emergency savings account. But there's also a sexual orientation and gender identity pay gap, right? We can't, we don't earn as much as the general population, specifically straight, white, cis men. So there are a couple of variables that our community has to deal with. And we just need to figure out how to, one, navigate those nuances, but then also, two, the main reason why David and I do what we do is that we want more LGBTQ people to be financially secure 
and even thrive because the more money that we have, the more time, money, and other resources we have to continue to fight for equality. I'll also add the data is just not out there. When these massive studies are done, oftentimes these studies are done and they segment out populations, typically along gender and race lines, but they don't really ever get into the sexual orientation, gender identity lines. And so the data isn't out there that kind of really will prove this. And I think that part of the reason why is because some people are scared to find out what the data would really say. But here's a couple of examples. There was a study that was done by the University of Surrey in England that proved that individuals who either sounded like they might be gender nonconforming. So if you're a man and you sound like you might be gay, you're a woman and you sound like you might be a little bit more masculine sounding, or if you appeared that way, hiring managers and uh, recruiters were less likely to move you along in the process to either get hired or promoted. And then there was another study that was done for a 20-year study that was done that showed that LGBT or same-sex couples were 73% more likely to be turned down for a mortgage even when their financials were exactly the same as other people who were applying. When we talk about wealth building in the United States, one of the things that we often talk about is buying a home. Buying a home is one of the ways that you can, over time, slowly build wealth, or at least you're not maybe being controlled by some of the inflationary forces that renters may may see. And the LGBT community, 33% of us own homes versus 66% of the general population. There's actual data out there. This is another statistic that I like to share. Let's just say you're a same-sex couple and you're in your early 30s and you decide that you're going to get married, but you do not have familial support. You don't have support from mom or dad, right? So the two of you decide you're going to save up or you're going to borrow the money and you're going to pay for a wedding. Let's just say $25,000. That $25,000 35 years later, if put into your retirement accounts, would be over $400,000. It's changing now because we do see more familial support, but there are a lot of same-sex couples who made the decision to get married and pay for their wedding, but will not have the fabulous retirement that we all hope that we would have. Those little kind of nuances, those kinds of things that I think a lot of people just aren't aware of. And that's the reason why they a lot of folks say, oh, well, everything's just the same for you as it is for everybody else. Yeah, I love that context. Thank you so much for that information. And, you know, it's one of those things. It's like you can't turn off the fact that you're gay at the bank or you can't turn off the fact that you're Latino or you identify as black or, you know, it's just like there are unconscious biases and sometimes even conscious that people will project on you when you're trying to move about in the world. One of the things that has always caused me some anxiety, my husband is very apparently Latino, whereas I'm sort of racially ambiguous to a lot of people. And I've definitely felt the discrimination from folks like whether it be landlords or banks, if we walk into a bank together, or if we walk into a meeting with a potential landlord. And I've actually gotten to the point where like, I just show up by myself because the outcome has been better. And it's terrible that we have to operate in a world that's that way. But like, that's the reality for so many folks. So just, you know, this blanket statement that like everything is equal, it's just not, it's not true. It's not the lived experience for so many. But then in that, those circumstances, then how often are they saying, 
do you need to run this past your husband? Oh, I just had that happen recently with the bank. I want to buy an investment property by myself. And the bank, first thing they asked me, do you have a prenup? And I'm like, but why? why? And they're like, well, it's in Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico's um, divorce laws, it's community property. So they're like, well, we can't put a mortgage in your name only unless your spouse has already agreed to the fact that you can own real estate separately via a prenup. And I'm like, wow. are you asking this question to men? <laughs> I highly doubt this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wild out here, y'all. <laughs> you know, speaking of that, prenups are very like taboo conversation in the Latino community in general, especially for women to bring it up. Is it as taboo in the LGBTQ community or is that more of a common conversation? To be honest, I don't ever hear anybody talking about that. Yeah, I, it might be starting to become a little bit more common now that we have marriage equality you know, and can get married, but I'm not hearing people talk about it. I think that there are so many couples, especially our age range, so many couples who kept their finances separate, very siloed because they weren't allowed to get married. And they're just, they, that, that's just how they lived. Right? And you know, we even knew people who were basically, they were a couple but they lived in separate homes and we're like, why are you spending all that extra money? <laughs> like, well, cause we're not married. And we're like, huh? I mean, it is, it is what it is, right? You may, we, we all make the choices that we make, but I think it is interesting. I'm not hearing same sex couples. I know talk about it. Oh, that's quite interesting. Yeah. There, it might just be a, a bit of a lag. I guess <laughs> once we start yeah. seeing, you know, what long-term relationships look like. <laughs> I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. So I think another really interesting thing that we can dive into is kind of your holistic approach of what it means to be like living your best life, right? You guys are the founders of the Happy Gay Men's Club, and you talk about like these building blocks to aka live your best life, right? (laughs) So walk us through kind of what that looks like. We haven't totally launched this quite yet. Hopefully it'll be officially launched early next quarter. A lot of the conversations we've had with our community, specifically gay men, that we're so myopically focused on one or two areas of our lives to be happy. Very often we're we're looking for love and that's that would be the ultimate definition of, of happiness for us. But then when you finally find the love, it's not always exactly as you expected. We're looking for the lifestyle, right? We want to have all the showy displays of, of our wealth and and to live our, that YOLO life that we talked about earlier. But so much else sort of gets pushed to the wayside, right? We don't talk, unfortunately, our community doesn't talk a lot about money. So that would also be a building block of a happy gay life. But then we also wanted to get more gay men to start talking about, we've talked about physical wellness, you know, having a great body, right? But we don't talk a whole lot about our mental and emotional state. And we don't talk a lot about our spiritual state. How are we, how are we nurturing ourselves? Not necessarily, you know, through a, through a religion or a dogma, but just, you know, incorporating some sort of meditation in your life or some sort of a practice where you can get centered and grounded with yourself. And so since uh, so many of the men that we've worked with kind of seem to be myopically focused on a couple of those areas, we thought, what can we do to maybe get men to start talking about all those areas? Let's let's have a 360 approach to happiness because maybe we might realize if, if we do nurture our emotional or our mental state that we don't necessarily need to have all the Gucci, Prada, and Melodobalonics, right? We can realize that that's not providing us the happiness that we thought it would because we're actually in a better mental state. Or you know, if, if we do pursue some sort of a spiritual practice, maybe we'll start to realize that the way that we're living isn't necessarily what we want and we can actually customize the lifestyle that we want and not feel like we have to live up to what culture says or even what the community says is the definition of happiness. Absolutely love that. And I think we all need that more holistic approach to how we manage not just money, but our lives. Like it's just so important. And I think it all intricately is tied, right? Like your mental and your physical state will absolutely affect how you move with money. So Mm -hmm. to pretend like you can just compartmentalize these things, it's just not realistic. Yeah. A hundred percent. The five building blocks basically are wellness, the the overall wellness, the lifestyle, which I think a lot of people really want to have a lifestyle that they enjoy, whether that's being able to take the vacation or go out to the nice dinner or go hiking, whatever that is. There is a direction and purpose foundation to all of that. You have to know what you want out of your life before you can decide you know, what you're going to do when you want to go out and have fun. And there's the, a money piece to it, right? And that what we see is that that money piece, although many people would not like to admit it, money has an overshadowing impact on all of those things, right? And if we understand the impact that money has on those various aspects, we can actually enjoy those aspects of our lives even more without causing financial stress, right? Because you can go out and have a really good time and then come, like, you know, we say this, come home with a vacation hangover, right? 
It's a credit card hangover that I don't, I don't know how many people we know. They can't come home from a vacation. They see that first credit card bill and they're like, I already need another vacation. That was me for many years. <laughs> Us too. Us too. And you know, it was looking at your overall life and how each of those things can have an impact on them. And what John and I are talking about here, this isn't new, right? This isn't brand new. There are people who have been talking about this for a long time, but we want it to specifically be the kind of conversation that we as gay and bisexual men would have. It's the nuances of how our lives work and, and how we as a community interact with each other. That's why we're doing this specifically for that group of people. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Well, okay, we'll so be talking about sex too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, it's a must. <laughs> All right. So for folks who are listening to this conversation and are ready to start living a more value-based lifestyle where they're not just trying to keep up with the Joneses to make themselves, you know, be able to fit in with the group or, or be accepted by their peers, what's your advice? Because that can be very difficult to navigate, especially if you find yourself in a place where you're starting to lose out on some friendships because maybe they were just based on the superficial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the number one first step that I, we would suggest that people do is to get grounded, get to know yourself a little bit. As David said earlier, like even before we're born, people are projecting onto us what a, a perfect life looks like for us. Right. And so if they know they're going to have a boy, all of a sudden they're buying all this blue stuff and all this sports stuff, but you might want to dress in pink and wear and play with dolls, but nobody knows that yet. Right. It's kind of like what they say about what is said in the four agreements. All these things are projected on you. And I think by the time that we do get to adulthood, that we don't even know who we are. We don't know what we really want, what would actually make us happy because we've had all this conditioning for 20 some years. And so we would suggest that people get grounded with themselves and figure out what would make them happy. Go walk in nature with no iPod on, go, Start meditating, start journaling, start reading books about happiness or, or spirituality and, and get, get to really know who you are and what would make you happy. And then you can sort of reverse engineer the lifestyle that you want when you figure that out. But in that transition, you might realize that some of your friends aren't necessarily on the same path as you. You don't have to stop hanging out with your friends. You just might want to stop hanging out with them as much and maybe less frequently. But with the money component, this was our story. And I, I so many people would be able to achieve more in their life, the things that they actually want if they were to rein in their spending. So we were completely honest with our friends and family and said, you know, we're, our goal is to pay off this debt as fast as possible. So we're going to stop doing Christmas gifts for a while. We're going to stop going out as much. We're going to stop doing all the expensive things and we're going to start doing some free things. And we found that while not everybody else had credit card debt to pay off, Almost everybody else had another goal in their life that would be much more easily achieved if they reined in their spending. So for different reasons, people started to join us because they didn't want to spend as much money either. Whether they were going to have a baby, plan for a wedding, build a house or whatever, that helped them as well. And so we didn't necessarily have to lose all of our friends. We still maintained a, a good connection with, with some of our friends, but we were completely open with them. And I think that takes a little bit of courage because a lot of people don't want to expose that. You know, Nobody wants say that I'm in $51,000 of credit card debt or whatever your number might be. But therein lies the value, right? We got to start talking about this stuff because so many of us have credit card debt. So many of us have other kind of challenges financially. That if we start talking about it and start talking about our salaries, we can maybe start normalizing this and maybe help everybody lift all boats. Also say one of the first exercises that John and I do with people that we work with is we walk them through a 
hopes and dreams exercise. And a lot of people have a lot of hopes and dreams. They are things that they want out of life. They're things that they want to do. And when you put that down on paper, when you actually write that down and you see those things, there's two things that can happen. One, you can go through them and you can say, you know what? This actually isn't truly my hope and dream. It's somebody else's hope and dream that has been kind of pushed on me. Are my parents... Do my parents want grandkids so much that I feel obligated to have kids Mm. for them? Or Mm -hmm. do I really want to live in this house, in this neighborhood? Is that what I really want out of my life? I will say, I think that the pandemic has really helped with a lot of people kind of looking at, and you talked about kind of this rage spending, but I think that there's a lot of people having these kind of mental conversations of what is it that I truly want? And I think the great resignation is kind of proof to that, what we do and don't want. But the other thing is when you look at those hopes and dreams and you say to yourself, this is truly what would make me happy. If I really were able to accomplish this, if I were able to do these things, then you have the why behind getting out of debt building up that emergency savings, creating those investments so that you can achieve those goals, right? And it's the why that will help you to say to yourself, when you're at happy hour and everybody says, let's have another round, or you're thinking about buying a round of shots for everybody, it's that why that will help you say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should call it quits for the night. I can have just as much fun. Or as John mentioned, you gather up your gaggle of friends and you head to the museum or the zoo on a free day, or you do something, you become that that person, that leader in your group that says, we're going to go do this stuff free or cheap. I absolutely love that advice. And I think it really kind of reminds me of what we were doing during the pandemic, right? Like we were all just craving like human connection. And when we really come down to it, you know, whether it's like a happy hour or taking a lavish trip with your friends, like we all actually just want people. Mm-hmm. We just want those human connections. And so like we can still have those things, but also create opportunities to make them more aligned with what our overall life goals are, right? One of the things I love more than anything is like inviting my friends over and we like, everybody brings something. It's like a potluck. And Mm -hmm. I feel like in those environments, you even get to connect on a deeper level versus like having so much external stimuli in, in the outside world. So I think it's just remembering like, why is it that I feel this need to go to happy hour? Is it because I want to be with my friends? Then let me create opportunities where I can do that and also not have to spend a ton of money. Exactly. Absolutely. We love potlucks. Yes. <laughs> you get to find out who's the good cook so you can keep inviting yourself to their house all the that time too. Over, yeah. <laughs> David, John, this has been an amazing conversation. I know folks are going to want to find out so much more about you, the Queer Money Podcast, your website, deafreeguys.com. So tell us how folks can work with you and where can we find your podcast? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having us. We, yeah. we really appreciate the opportunity. We are uh, at debtfreeguys.com and on, on all social media, we're debtfreeguys as well. We're also queermoneypodcast.com and we have queer money podcasts on 
everywhere except for Twitter. It's Queer Money Pod. <laughs> because it's too long for Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we help folks in a number of different ways. Obviously, the podcast and the blog where there's a lot of free content. You can go to our websites and get some free material there as well to help help pay off your credit card debt. We have our credit card payoff course that people can sign up for. And we also do one-on-one mentoring if people want some more personalized assistance. And then we have Fantastic. the Happy Gay Men's Club coming out shortly. <laughs> yes, I will absolutely link to all of those resources in the episode show notes. And I just want to thank both of you for being such a much needed voice in the personal finance community. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Awesome. Thank, thank you. you. We appreciate it. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start. That's yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.